Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Shequin. Here. Trustee Peterson. Here. We do have a quorum. Great. And um, I am, unfortunately, don't have the agenda in front of me. I'm going to try and pull that up. I got on late. So um, do we have consent items? Is that the first thing? Yeah, I'm pulling it up, too. Sorry. We could uh, share the screen. Okay, let me just give me a second here and let me pull this up. Thank you very much. So, sport advantage. Approval of the minutes of the June 11th meeting. Uh, first, just need to check to see if there's any public comment. I don't believe there is, but. I have not received any public comment. I move to approve. Second. Uh, no opposition. The minutes are approved from June 11th. And then we have our VP for compliance and internal audit with the update on um, the compliance reporting and audit. Okay. Hi, Rick. Welcome. Uh, so I wanted to start off first, to, since my main uh, reporting item is the information security program, I wanted to introduce you to the new uh, chief information security officer, Ijaz Ali. So Ijaz, you want to say something to the committee? Hey, yes. Um... Hi everyone, uh, my name is Ijaz Ali and I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for Alameda Health. Um, I've been here since the end of May, so a little over three months. Um, I am the first Chief Information Security Officer for Alameda Health, so I'm excited about this um, opportunity and to, um, and also, um, you know, just the idea of Alameda Health now taking security uh, seriously. So I'm um, really excited about that. I, I come from um, El Camino Health, where I was there for five years as their risk manager. Um, I, I created their risk program there. Um, I, and, um, I ran it, and um, now I'm hoping to do the exact same thing here at Alameda. Welcome, Ijaz. I, I will just add that Ijaz was a, um, ex, after an extensive over a year long search, uh, we're very, very glad to have him. So uh, he's an important part of this. And it's, I think you'll see as we go through the rest of Rick's report. So thank well, you. Welcome, Hodges. It's great to meet you. And we look forward to getting a report in this committee about any issues that we have, hopefully none there in um, IT security. So I welcomed Ijaz by doing this security audit and uh, I have kind of mapped out his work for the next year or so. So, because <laughs> we did have a few issues uh, in the realm of security and it's, it's not that we didn't take it seriously before, but we didn't have dedicated resources to doing that. And so now that Ijaz uh, is here, we're kind of marching down that road, but uh, three months isn't enough to get everything under control. So I'm 
going to go through my report uh, at kind of a high level. You're uh, free to stop me at any time. Uh, we have uh, Mark Amy here and DJOS to answer any questions if you want to get into more detail about a particular area. Okay? Sounds Thank good. you. Uh, do we still have the agenda? I mean, uh, the package up, or do I need to present it from mine? No, we, we don't have the package up, but... Uh, Can you screen share it? Uh, Rick, you, you can share, share your screen. Okay. I can do that, I think. Okay, do we have a screen? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So, like this. Okay, so basically the background is that we were trying to address the HIPAA security requirements and uh, we have a lot of regulation that is required by HIPAA, high tech and the HIPAA omnibus rules. And so we were kind of going through the different rules that they have to make sure that we're doing something to comply with all of those and then identify any potential gaps. So the scope was quite extensive. Uh, we were looking at the security risk analysis, uh, the management process, you know, workforce clearance process, termination process, password process. I mean, anything that uh, was in those rules that pertain to computer security. Can I ask, um, is, have there been a lot of changes? This is for you and, and for Mark. Have there been a lot of changes in these rules? You see, it looks like 1-1-2019 through 630, but were these because of major changes from CMS or is it just routine updates? No, we were, we were looking at transactions and uh, uh, what was in place. We started the review in January and we were looking at different aspects of it uh, through that period. So some of the things, you know, hopefully are well on their way to being resolved already uh, because we gave them a heads up and we've started work on it. But uh, that was just kind of the period of our review. Thanks, and I have one more question. Does, will he just be overseeing this from now on or is this something that will continue to be outsourced? Ijaz uh, will be responsible for all of it, unless I drive them off with too many audits. Okay. Yep. So the results of our review, uh, we, we identified uh, a number of opportunities for improvement and uh, some of the things that contributed to this. Uh, when we implemented Epic Care Link, we've uh, loaded a bunch of users to that for that were external to AHS and uh, didn't really go through the proper process to uh, make sure we had side agreements, individual uh, agreements for, you know, keeping data confidential. Uh, we identified some uh, generic user IDs, which 
are really uh, uh, problematic. We've had several uh, privacy issues resulting from use of generic IDs. Uh, we saw that the process to grant access to the system uh, was a little bit flawed. We sometimes allowed uh, secretaries, admins, or people to approve their own access, uh, which, you know, we, we really want management oversight. Do they really need access to that application and uh, kind of vet it with the management? Uh, we didn't really have the security policies in place that we should have as an organization and then have people trained on what those are so that they know when they're violating our our policies. Uh, this is kind of a repeat one. Workforce members, uh, mostly you know, contractors, consultants, volunteers that don't get removed from the system on a timely basis. Uh, that's always a problem. And then widespread use of personal email to do AHS business. Uh, we really want things going through a secure network. And if you start using your personal email, it becomes unsecure. And if you're sending PHI, that's a problem. Quick okay. um, the generic ID is for patients or is it for like contractors and others that are using like temporary generic IDs? Uh, so some of our clinicians were using some uh, sometimes it's the IT people that use them to do maintenance. Uh, there's a number of reasons that there are generic IDs out there, but uh, we want to stress individual accountability. Mm -hmm. So it really uh, should be uh, an ID for each person so that we know who's logging in, who's changing things. Mm -hmm. And if I could just add, this is largely in our legacy systems. We have some cleanup. We're still doing an active directory in our email system. Our new Epic system is almost completely um, specific IDs. We have a handful of IDs, as uh, Rick had mentioned, for maintenance sort of work that goes on in that system as an example. So we're definitely building uh, correctly going forward, but we have uh, cleanup work from, uh, from older systems that we're dealing with as part of this. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so the findings, uh, HIPAA requires a, a basically an annual risk assessment to make sure that you're identifying your uh, biggest risks and doing something to address those. And we have outsourced that the last few years, uh, but the, the third parties that we have doing that uh, don't do the thorough review that we think is needed. Uh, it's a lot of interviews and, and questionnaires and not a lot of test work. And so we really need to uh, develop a better process for uh, doing a risk assessment so that we do identify our most significant vulnerabilities and address those on a timely basis. Okay. Uh, Rick was that yes. a finding from from um, CMS or or was that just our internal review? This is our internal review. Okay. So we haven't had any findings in this area. No. Thank well, you. we've had findings from the uh, third parties that did the assessment, but I don't 
feel that they had the depth and breadth that they should have had. And so it was kind of, they identify some superficial findings, we fix them and move along. So that was the joint commission? No, no, we we hired consultants. Oh, um, no, my question was whether we had had any findings from from it, um, government audit or? No, okay, not, a, not in this area. Great, that's good news. Okay, and so management has agreed uh, to start doing this and we'll have a comprehensive risk assessment done by uh, June 30 of 2021. EJAS will be doing that in his spare time. Okay, uh, <laughs> the second finding, we have to have policies and procedures to prevent, detect, contain, and correct security violations. So we didn't have a lot of those uh, policies in place. And with some of the issues we've had with policy tech, if we did have them, you probably couldn't find them. Uh, so EJAS has been developing, uh, drafting all of those policies for the organization. Uh, we recently had some of those go through uh, the uh, clinical practice committee for review, review and approval, and uh, they will be coming to the board soon. But, but we want to make sure that all of those policies get addressed by the end of the year. So hopefully we're on track for that. Okay, the third finding, uh, we should be reviewing activity logs to see who's doing what. Uh, this is a standard IT thing, uh, but we really don't have uh, the processes in place. We need a, an event management system and do a lot of this. Uh, I, I know you've probably seen the commercial where the guys, IT guys up on the desk doing a, a Zoom or something and his boss walks in and says, shouldn't you be monitoring our traffic? And he says, oh yeah, got the machine down there doing it right now. So same kind of thing, we need more of an automated process to monitor activity, kick out exceptions for people to look at versus doing manual review of, of logs and activity. But this requires money. Uh, we're going to be addressing this in the next budget cycle to see if we can get the proper funding to implement a, a, an automated process. And, and that's a, Rick, that's a budget issue. That's something that I'll have to get, go before, go to finance to get approval. Oh, I, I think they're going to work it in the next budget process if they don't work it with the budget uh, committee before then to see if there's any way to do something earlier. Yeah, I mean, Tracy, I'll just add, uh, you know, Del Vecchio and I have been talking on this. He's been uh, very supportive that we need to be moving forward the cybersecurity pieces of this. So um, one of the things you're going to see through this is that we have a number of areas that we need to um, fix. And uh, it's the old saying that Rome wasn't built in a day. So part of it is figuring out what we can realistically bite off and get done in a timely fashion. So that's where the timelines come uh, with this. But certainly the SIM uh, component of this uh, tech, uh, security technical term is one of the things that's high priority for us. Thanks, Mark. That that actually um, brings up another question for me, which is, is there any 
potential or not that we have any leftover funds from um, Epic implementation, but is can we can we charge this to as part of Epic implementation? Probably not. Um, okay. Ultimately, that would be a Kim decision, but I think I think she'd end up wearing orange if we did that one. Crazy. <laughs> so. Thank you. How how much does just uh, how much does something like a sim cost? Like, uh... Uh, Giles, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it's around two hundred thousand uh, um, dollars. And then you know, on top of that, you have to have the maintenance. It, you know, part of it is buying the tools, but then the other part is once you put a tool in place, is making sure that you're actually reviewing it and and using the tool. So there, there's several pieces that have to go in into something like that specific item. What do you do with the information once you have it? Yeah, and you're probably coming up with a list of different things that's needed. So yeah, I understand. Okay. Uh, so finding four is uh, the access authorization. Mm -hmm. And so we should be monitoring uh, user rights to access workstations, uh, doing transactions, sending emails. I mean, so anytime somebody's job changes, you should be looking at what their uh, privileges are and see if you need to modify those. And then what do contractors have access to? Uh, you know, we just, again, we need some tools to kind of verify that things are working the way they should and that the people that have access really need to continue at that access level. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have uh, some email security issues and a lot of use of private emails within the organization, uh, primarily providers, but then a lot of uh, staff seem to use their personal email. And if they start sending out PHI over email, then uh, again, it's a problem. And we then have to do, uh, you know, potential privacy breaches. So we don't want that. Yeah. One thing may I suggest, and I don't know if I know that as a trustee, I get all meeting materials to my AHS as well as my Gmail account. And sometimes I open the Gmail and get read it first, and then I reply on that. So for us just to be able to like make sure that every communication we are doing is it like I don't know how other trustees feel, but I would just prefer not to get it on Gmail because then like I have... I, I'm not tempted to reply with with that one because I see a work email coming to that email address too. Like so, anytime that you, you're we're sending anything with PHI or sensitive information in it to uh, an email address outside of our network, we should be doing that as a secure transaction. So, if secure in the the title subject line. Mm -hmm. uh, secure colon space and then whatever, then that's secure. And if you respond to that, that's secure. Okay. Uh, right. that's otherwise, we have Zix, which is a security application that's uh, going to encrypt the, the message and send it securely. So it's okay sometimes to do that. It's just that you're, you're widening your exposure when you are using the personal email. Okay. And I don't think that all the people using it within the organization are doing secure every time they do it. 
And then if they start transmitting it back and forth to other unsecure accounts, then again, broadening the risk. Got it. Right. So let me ask then, could, could, could somebody get a, a Zix secured um, transmission and forward it to a, an unsecured mailbox? Yes. That's, that's why we don't want them doing it in the first place, because once it gets out of our realm and they send it, they can't, it doesn't encrypt through Zix anymore. Got it. Thanks. Okay. Uh, so item five, so access of workforce member to PHI, uh, we saw that it was validated uh, in EPIC, but it wasn't in our legacy systems. Uh, EPIC Care Link, we didn't do a good process. So we got an, a number of users that we're trying to clean up now. Uh, it's a problem and you know we've got a lot of uh, outside providers that are re referring people to our business but we don't have the appropriate agreements with them uh active directory we don't really have a, a clear idea of exactly which applications are under active directory and we need to move as many of those as possible under that because that way we have the the main point of entry controlled so we're we're working to get that cleaned up uh, and get application ownership established. And again, it'll it'll take some time, but uh, I think we're we're moving in the right direction. Uh, access termination process we've talked about before. Uh, we're good on the employee side. We're not so good on. Uh, the non-employee side because you're really uh, management is gung-ho to get them access but once they leave we're relying on them to terminate that access notify IT and it's just not happening like it should uh, so we're implementing additional features there uh, if, if it's not used in X number of days you cut it off uh, maybe putting some time limits on how long they can get access. Uh, but without a systematic solution, it's going to continue to be a problem uh, that, that we need to address. Uh, can I just ask, with regard to security, is that, a, is that where the security risk is with those? Is that, is that the... The main security risk, I guess I would say, with those unsecured or um, un, unapproved, un, um, reapproved uh, credentials. Uh, it is a security risk. I don't know that it's the, the highest risk, uh, but but what we're doing is we're allowing somebody access to the, our systems, and then they leave the company, and we never terminate that access. So then, if they want to come in and browse around, they can still do that. Well, where are the risks for um, 
the type of hijacking that happened at um, other large systems, the risks of um, of complete, uh, you know, of theft or ransom of um, patient or or other information. Where are those risks coming from in this in this area? I guess. Uh, so that would. Yeah, so that's that's mainly done through email, through phishing. Um, a lot of the um, incidents that you hear, like on on TV or in the news, that's that's mainly done through email and phishing. So we've had some instances like that uh, here, where uh, somebody says they they send an email out and says, "I'm from IT. I need to verify your password credentials." and and so our employees type it in, and now all of a sudden they get locked out of their account and somebody starts browsing. Uh, so we've tried to publicize that stuff and make it known. We're never going to ask you for your password. If we start doing that, you need to call the help desk or call somebody in, in IT, and they can put a stop to it. And then they lock out those uh uh, emails so nobody else can respond and reset somebody's password so that the uh, intruder is locked out. So, so Tracy, I, I, to add a little bit more color to the uh, to, to your question, uh, and I, I would of course uh, defer to uh, your uh, chair here, but we'd be happy at some point if you wanted us to, to uh, come back and talk a little bit about the cybersecurity threat landscape something that Ajaz has done some education for us uh, you know, within the leadership team at our uh, governance meeting on. Uh, and we are actually, um, one of Ajaz's uh, first um, um, accomplishments here was starting to outline a overall cybersecurity roadmap. Uh, because it's, it's much like patient safety where there's many things that go into patient safety and it's hard to say which one is the most important. Is it drug interactions or is it the surgery or is it infection control? You know, everything goes into patient safety, of course. And cybersecurity is the same, but but Ajaz is absolutely right. The thing that you hear about most often is uh, phishing. But even within phishing um, out there, there's many different types of uh, of phishing uh, that uh, that we experience within the healthcare uh, field. So it's, it's you know, frankly, we could uh, we could spend the rest of this uh, meeting talking about the cybersecurity uh, landscape because it, it's it's both fascinating and terrifying when you start to get into it. No, I don't want to hijack it to do that. I was just looking at the workforce clearance process and the access authorization and thinking about how if those areas were a particular risk for um, for cybersecurity. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and they actually are because uh, one of the things that we deal with is uh, what's called internal bad actors. Those would be employees or former employees that have some sort of agenda. And unfortunately, most organizations have some of that activity that you know, takes place. So, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, you know, um, Rick uh, mentioned this a couple of months ago, we started if a, if a uh, account had no activity for 33 days, you know, I won't get into why we chose that number, but 33 days, we automatically disable the account now. So, you know, we're putting in protection so that we don't have accounts that are out there uh, hanging out there for long periods of time. And that's just one of a number of steps that the JAWS has already done for us. That sounds good. Thank you. Okay, password management. Uh, we had uh, a number of, of systems that had weak password requirements, and we basically uh, did not have a policy or practice of 
requiring you to change your password. So people have been here 20 years, had the same password. And eventually those passwords get out and people can access their stuff. And then you don't know who's really doing anything. Uh, so one of the things that we've been working on is, uh, you know, EJAWS developed password security standards. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's how we're gonna do it. And we've been migrating all the systems to that new standard. Uh, so there's, there's still more that need to be worked on, but uh, hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have everybody up on the same standard password or system. So security incident procedures, we have kind of uh, done this by the seat of our pants. Uh, there was no formal process for how you uh, investigate uh, potential issues. And so we really need a, a standard response uh, and reporting system. And so EJAWS is working on that and should have uh, the, the policy in place and the process by the end of the year. So working on that now, because we've had a couple of incidents, but uh, again, we didn't want it to be ad hoc. We wanted a, a standardized process. Okay. Uh, so we have to understand the, the criticality of, of the applications and uh, understand uh, what we have out there, what's the most significant system. And so when we started asking for, you know, give me a list of the applications and, and which ones are the critical ones, uh, it wasn't readily available. So we've asked for uh, IT to come up with a complete list of the applications, uh, make sure, because we had hundreds of them. Uh, and depending on who you talk to, they had a different list. And so we want to, uh, get all that put together, have a single list, and then use that to go through and look at password requirements, look at, you know, which ones are the critical ones, uh, kind of mold that into a business continuity plan so that we know what we need to bring up first if something were to happen to us. Okay, uh, so Unique user identification, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier. We uh, identified a number of generic IDs. Uh, we don't like those because when we have uh, a privacy incident and somebody used a generic ID, you really can't pin that uh, transaction on them. And we've had that happen a, a couple of times. Or if somebody goes in and makes a change to a system and they use the generic ID, you don't know who did it and why, and uh, it just makes things tougher to unravel. Uh, like I said, we wanted accountability on all transactions, so we're trying to eliminate all of those. Uh, automatic Rick, I'm sorry, would it be possible um, with regard to the, the last, to the um, use, unique user identification and generic IDs, would it be possible for someone to order something or change something in a patient record with using a generic ID or is this more for 
other types of um, programming or services? It could if that generic ID had access to patient data. Uh, now, we've, we know that in some cases there was some generic IDs used in some of our legacy systems uh, like WellSoft, so you weren't real sure who was doing the update to the medical record. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we wanted to, to stop that stuff because we just couldn't tell who was doing what there. Uh, so fortunately, that's one of the applications that is no longer being used. Uh, and hopefully any application that has uh, requires a generic ID is going to be sunsetted, let's say. Thanks. We're, we're tightening up the security environment. Tracy, so that you can uh, sleep well tonight uh, on this, though, I will say um, in the EPIC system, and I just actually got a text from our team that validated this, we have no generic IDs in the production system other than what you would call maintenance or background accounts that a user can't access that do specific tasks, you know, automated tasks for us in the background. Uh, so the answer is, is a firm no. Uh, for the EPIC system. We're still doing, as Rick mentioned, we're still doing cleanup of some of our legacy systems or sunsetting the system altogether. And and of all the applications as well, I mean, those applications may or may not, res may or may not um, have the, the potential to impact direct patient care, but the, the, the applications that you mentioned a few slides ago, those may also have generic IDs or be accessible to um, persons or individuals who we can't track. Right, and that's part of the work we're doing currently. No, that sounds good, thank you. Yeah. Okay, so automatic log off. Uh, we wanna make sure that if somebody walks away from their computer that uh, after a few minutes, the system times out and nobody can access it. And this is one of the things that we've seen from a privacy standpoint people do all the time. They walk away from their desk, they leave their computer up, it's on a patient record, and anybody can go in there, they can write an email to Delvecchio where they can, you know, change something in a patient record. And, you know, we, we have an idea who did it because it came from their machine under their ID, but uh, if they're away from their desk, other people could be messing with things. So we want an automatic timeout feature. And uh, right now on your desktop, you can change the uh, timing of that. Uh, so we want to disable that change feature and uh, make it standard that it always times out at a certain time. What is the standard? Uh, I think 15 minutes for most applications. Rick, I, I happen to be near and dear to this because we just did some uh, um, uh, um, changes to it. So 15 minutes on the desktop, you're absolutely right. Um, we do 45 minutes on the Epic system, Tracy. And again, there's a lot of reasons to go into that particular number from a care provider uh, standpoint for us. My question was more about the desktop. I just want to you know, know how long someone could leave the, the, the floor, or leave the, the nursing station and leave something available. Okay, and then audit controls. Uh, so again, this is a, a monitoring thing. We wanna be able to 
make sure that we can uh, look at audit logs. Uh, right now we save them for like three days. And usually by the time you identify an event, it's more than three days afterwards. And now you don't have any history to go back and look on. So we want to expand that. We want to be able to, uh, you know, maintain logs, look at activity. But again, that's going to require an automated solution and uh, has budget implications. So we'll be addressing that in the next uh, budget cycle. Okay, so any other questions about security? That was all. Well, that's a lot. So. <laughs> well, you know, it, we, we did a pretty deep dive uh, because now that we have somebody that's dedicated to security, we wanted to let them know exactly what they were stepping into and uh, make plans to address all these things. And instead of just waiting for them to uh, identify the issues themselves and uh, doing their their own thing and prioritizing things. So uh, it's it's a lot, but uh, you know, I, I think that we're, we're moving in the right direction. Trustee Banerjee, did you have a question? Yeah, no, I, I was asking Ijaz, like coming from Camino um, and I, I, on a comparative basis, like is this what we've been seeing um, relatively standard or is this um, way more non-compliance than, uh, than, than general from your vantage? Uh, well, the, the environment there is, was different. So it's very hard to compare the two, uh, but I'd say it's, um, it's pretty similar. Thank you. Um, can I ask Rick and um, and Mark? Is this 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 is a great audit? There's so much information here, and, and you've really looked at all of the the areas of security risk. It looks like is this a good time? I mean, it, it's always good timing, but now that Epic has been implemented and we've we've addressed some of the issues with that um, implementation, we've had almost a year of Epic. Is this a a good time to 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 um, manage these these risks yeah so tracy I, I i mean rick i'll let you respond as well but um let, let me just share with the uh, committee my number one um area of concern at this particular point is our cybersecurity program not not that we don't have a plan um not that we're not going to execute i i think we got the right CISO in place i think we have the right team in place uh, frankly our, our partnership with the uh, with the uh, audit compliance uh, team is is outstanding with rick and his team is outstanding and so and you know frankly i feel that i have all of the support i need from our uh, leadership team on this but um this is a high stakes uh, game as i think you all know um, out there in the industry anything on the news will show um i, I would suggest that Jaws is being kind because i know some of the work he was doing at el camino and uh, some of the work they were they're on we're absolutely behind in our cybersecurity program so i don't want to sugarcoat it uh, for you um, you know, you guys know I came out of the academic world, and obviously we had more money to spend in those areas. But um, you know, frankly, cybersecurity doesn't pick on you because you're academic or because you're not. You know, a lot of the attacks we get now are automated attacks that happen 
regardless of the system. So we can't think that we're going to be missed by that. The good news is, you know, we going through the report, I, I was biting my tongue a little bit as we we're going through because some of the stuff we've already addressed. And so that's good. Uh, some of the stuff we still absolutely have to address. And as I said, it's going to take time to address some of these things, even if we had, frankly, unlimited resources uh, to do it. It just takes time to fix some of these issues. Um, you know, candidly, there's a number of uh, concerns that the JAWS has, uh, you know, has brought up that, are out, that were outside of the scope of this or that, you know, frankly, I know from past lives that we also need to address as part of that cybersecurity hardening uh, component. There are things around our perimeter with our firewalls and our internet. We've been doing major upgrades of those sorts of systems behind the scenes uh, with what we're doing, uh, you know, how we harden our internal networks and how we, uh, how we segment. There's a lot of really technical stuff that uh, I'd put you to sleep if we started to describe what we need to go through as well uh, in that. So, uh, Tracy, I think it's a perfect time uh, to start to address these areas. Um, uh, Bill Vecchio and I had talked when I came on board that uh, number one priority was getting Epic over the finish line first, and then we we're going to make a pretty hard pivot into the security role. And we've got the JAWS on board, and this is a, this is a big focus for us this coming year, as well as numerous other things that you know about it as a board member. But definitely, this is a big focus. Do I, I guess um, my kind of my question too is: Does Epic give us a better a better platform or a better now that we have? We know this whole system, we don't have all these competing um, patient, at least patient record applications. Do we have a, a better opportunity to address these, these major risks? Heck yes, <laughs> uh, for, for multiple reasons. Uh, one of them is we're not trying to secure multiple platforms. Right. Uh, and that in and of itself, you know, securing one, you know, securing one house is securing 10 houses, you know, sort of thing. Uh, on top of it, Epic has modern security components to it. Some of, you know, the systems we were working on in the past, they were legacy systems. There was not an easy way to uh, comply them. Also, you know, frankly, building um, uh, from the ground up, building a clean um, to start with is a lot easier than trying to go back and retrofit and fix, you know, stuff that just, you know, not bad intentions, but just over, you know, over 20 years, as Rick was saying, you know, things get layered on top of each other, and then you have to start untangling that uh, that web of, uh, of components that you have out there. So definitely easier. Uh, you know, Epic themselves, as I'm sure you can imagine, takes their security very um, seriously. So they also do uh, audits for us and provide best practices around security. Certainly Epic is only one piece of it. You know, we also have loss and security and Kronos and you know, all, uh, all the other applications we use out there. But uh, Epic's actually a good partner in that as well. Very good, very good. Thank you. Okay. And um, so, so not, as we end, though, we, we do want to hear from Hutchie's, um, you know, in the future about the, the the specifics about the cybersecurity, what you're looking for, and what what our risks are with regard to um, the out external security. I, I'd like to to make a recommendation that we get a regular uh, dashboard report on progress towards towards these um, objectives. Uh, I agree. That's a great idea. Yeah, so we can see how we're doing. Uh, I'm told that uh, cybersecurity is actually the primary risk management concern of most entities in the United States right now. There's been a real shift to cybercrime. Um, I asked for legal counsel a couple months ago if we had insurance. We do. But uh, 
better than insurance is prevention. So we need to make sure we get all this in place as soon as possible. That's a great suggestion. Thanks, Lewis and, and uh, Mark and Rick. Hopefully that's we could get that on the dashboard and on our next agenda as well. Okay. All right, so moving right along, uh, I'm continuing to do the 340B audits. It's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> and we had gotten it down to 0% in Sorian, and then along came Epic, and we had some snafus along the way because we now, instead of having one team handle all the transactions, you had multiple areas sharing in the responsibility and there was some communication issues. So since uh, Epic went in, we were at zero. Now it, it went up to 5% and it was a little under one. And uh, the last month it was 3.5. So it's been varying, but uh, we're doing a hundred percent audit every month just to see if there's uh, additional transactions that are going in that need to be fixed. We send a list claims listing to <clears throat> the uh, revenue cycle area and ask them to reprocess any errors that we identify so that we have no liability going forward. And we send the list to the uh, Epic people and the CDM people to make sure that they fix the transactions. Uh, so that we don't have recurring problems. Uh, so the, the problem is that you have a different mix of drugs being processed every month and without going in and auditing all 12,000 items one by one, we're, we're doing it after the fact and hoping that everything went through properly. Uh, and so it kind of tests the system functionality as well as uh, the programming part. So this was the Medi-Cal 340B. We did freestanding separately because uh, it's handled by a different area and different rules. So that one was a little bit more problematic. It was a, a 19%, now it's 10%, but it's a very low volume. So it doesn't take many transactions to uh, skew the error rate. But again, we're doing the same thing, reprocessing the claims and working with the area to get all the transactions fixed on a go-forward basis. Uh, so in Medicare, we're doing a little bit better, same area, but it's been 0%. So uh, little slightly different rules on Medicare versus uh, Medi-Cal 340B. Uh, it's more transaction-driven, uh, fewer drugs, but we're doing well. We programmed it correctly. Uh, ambulatory, we had a glitch at first, and the last few months it's been at 0%, so we're, we're good there. Uh, so like I said, we're, we're rebilling all the improper claims so that we don't have any liability because this is where we were. Uh, we calculated the liability for the last couple of years because of some uh, problems with Sorian before we got it all fixed. Uh, we identified, a, we owed 
the manufacturers about 2.1 million. Uh, I've been working on settlements for the last four or five months. And uh, so far we had five uh, settlement letters returned for about 68,000. We've settled 21 uh, manufacturers and we had 456,000 in liability. Uh, I was able to settle with them for 400,000. So I'm, I'm trying not to give that whole 2 million away, but we have a, a obligation to repay all the manufacturers and make them whole because of our screw up. Uh, so we've got about uh, 58 manufacturers, 1.6 million, and uh, uh, that's left to go. And only six of those are in process right now. So uh, we send out letters to all of them. When they respond, then I work with them and negotiate a settlement uh, based on their transactions for the period. And a lot of them haven't responded. So we have to make uh, uh, an effort, but after a point in time, then it'll be waiting on them to contact us. So it, it looks like, like if just with the in-progress claims, so each claim is about some like 30-something thousand dollars? There's some of them that are a dollar fifty. There's others that are a hundred and fifty thousand. Okay. So it, it varies. It depends on what drugs we bought from which manufacturer. Uh, I think we owe uh, like four hundred thousand is probably the the highest total for a single one. And we've had a couple that it's so minimal they're they're not even going to respond. We had the same. Uh, situation the last time we did the settlement in 2015 you just never hear from some of them because it's uh, a bother for them to go back and reopen their books for prior periods and they would rather just ignore us that's fine they can do that they can thank you okay Uh, so there's a number of big compliance initiatives that are going on right now. Uh, We've had new regulations. Uh, One of them is regarding information blocking, which means that uh, when you have a request for PHI uh, from another vendor, you have to accommodate them in a reasonable period of time. Uh, If you, and then you have to share uh, tests with, with patients, uh, you cannot withhold information. So uh, in the past, such things like uh, lab tests, it usually went back to the physician and you never heard about the results of your lab test until the physician had a chance to communicate that information to you. Uh, That is going to be a thing of the past beginning uh, 11-2 unless it's something that's required to be withheld by regulation, we have to release it immediately. Uh, so if you have a, a MyChart account, 
you could go out and you could expect to see your lab results in a day or so, depending on how long it takes the lab to process it. You do not have that physician in there buffering the information and stalling until he has a chance to give you uh, the results. So we have to go through all of the settings in Epic and see where we have delays or stops in information, you know, clinical notes, lab results, anything, and then change those to comply with this regulation. So it's it's been a pretty uh, ominous task. Uh, we also have the price transparency issue uh, where they're asking us to one post our CDM, which which we already do, uh, but two, you have to uh, provide a consumer-friendly uh, a list of shoppable services. So if you wanted to see how much it costs for an appendectomy, you could go out and look on our website and it would say, well, the basic cost of an appendectomy is, you know, this for the operating room, this for the surgeon, this for uh, drugs and based on your insurance plan, it would be about this much money. A uh, huge undertaking because we don't have uh, the contracts built into Epic and we don't really, you know, the, the requirement is actually that you tell the patient what their out-of-pocket expense would be for that procedure. Uh, we don't know what the insurance companies pay we don't know what the patient's deductible is and co coinsurance is. So it's, we're doing the best we can uh, with coming up with the shoppable services, but uh, by one, one, but it's, it's a mess. And I don't know how any hospital is really going to be able to do that. It, it really, to me, should be a requirement of the insurance company, but I didn't make the regulation. Uh, Epic Care Link, we've talked about it during the security report. Uh, we're working with IT and the business uh, owners to make sure that we get the appropriate uh, business associate agreements in place and get individual sign-off to our terms and conditions for accessing our system and maintaining the confidentiality of information. Mm -hmm. And the dashboard, which we've talked about at most meetings, uh, new for the fourth quarter, we had 90 cases, so pretty much one a day. Uh, we closed 86, so we're continuing our efforts to close them, but we're not making significant headway because the volume of incoming uh, is staying up with the volume of outgoing. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're continuing to push on that. Uh, in fact, I've, I've had weekly meetings of the compliance team to talk about these issues and how we can get them resolved. Uh, I don't think that any of them are significant issues that are going to, uh, you know, penalize uh, the organization. 
It's kind of one-off things that we need to address the way that we bill a certain item or we need to address, uh, you know, people wearing masks or not wearing masks. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of things out there and trying to, to keep up with all that. So when, when we look at this and we see that 50% of the cases are HR, what are, these are mostly um, reporting, reporting through the hotline or, or concerns of managers with staff, things like that? So it will be somebody uh, reporting an issue, uh, an HR, okay, I'm in a hostile work environment. Uh, I walked by this employee and they sneered at me like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so it could be anything, any, any kind of interpersonal or any kind of um, programming or, or, or a con condition of, of um, employment. Somebody's violating the code of conduct. They're not being nice to their fellow employees. Uh, it's a hostile work environment. It's just racism. I mean, it, it, there's all kinds of things out there. When we get those reports through the hotline, we refer those to HR and we track them to resolution. Uh, we're not going to get involved uh, in the HR issues unless it's something that involves HR itself. Then we would potentially be involved in it. Um, can I just ask, is this kind of the, the, um, the breakdown that you is anything changing historically? Like if I looked at the compliance dashboard, I wasn't on the audit committee last year or the year before, but if I looked at um, fourth quarter of 2017 or 2018, would it look similar to this? Uh, from a percentage basis, yes. Okay. Uh, so the majority of our cases are either HR or their privacy. And the privacy cases once we validate the information and uh, determine that yes, an employee has violated HIPAA, it becomes an HR issue. So HR kind of gets the brunt of a lot of these things and that's why their uh, caseload is so high because uh, at any one time, things switch over from compliance to uh, HR. That makes sense, yeah. So it's unfortunate, but uh, it's something when you're dealing with the unions and management uh, practices, then we would rather the professionals do it uh, instead of us going in there and, and making a mess out of things. So Rick, the process is that any HR complaint that go, uh, the uh, you know, uh, staff related things go to HR first and they come to compliance only when, when does, what's the threshold for it to come to you? So if it gets reported through the compliance hotline, it okay. comes to me okay. and then I forward it on to HR. If they want to report something directly to me uh, or to one of my staff, then again, it, it we have to uh, triage it mm -hmm. and then decide who gets to work it. So we have a number of cases that are HR. We have a number of cases that are uh, patient safety uh, risk cases that we refer over to the risk area. Uh, 
the compliance issues, we work ourselves. Uh, but we track every case to resolution to make sure that things don't, you know, get swept under the carpet. So you somebody reports something directly to HR, we don't necessarily hear about it unless they feel it's a compliance issue that they need to notify us. So if somebody did a direct report of a privacy issue, then they would contact us to, to help them in the investigation, but then it ultimately becomes their case again once we prove something. Thank you. Okay. Rick, so you refer, when you refer uh, a compliance issue, an issue that came through compliance to HR, do you, do you track HR's closing of that issue? Yes, it doesn't get closed until they give us sufficient evidence to indicate that they did the investigation and resolved it. We've, we've got a, a compliance uh, management system that they have to do an update to and then tell us that it's ready to close. We review the outcome. And if we don't feel comfortable that they did the work and that they're trying to sweep it off because they want to get rid of a, an issue, then we make it go back and redo it. Got it. Okay. So here's the three year case trend and Pending resolution you see is getting high and staying high. Uh, closed, we've closed a lot. New just kind of keeps growing. So the blue line is the, mm -hmm. the new cases. It's just a steady increase. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, we're doing close to 90 a month right now in or a quarter in new cases. Uh, it was probably 70 uh, a year ago this time and about 50 two years ago. So more people are understanding that they can uh, file a, an issue through the hotline. They're reporting stuff to us. And while there's some overlap and that we might get a same issue reported multiple times. Uh, uh, probably 10% of these are, are duplicate reports. Uh, still, the trend is that we're getting a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Any questions? And like I said, we're, we meet with HR every two weeks to go over their cases and kind of push them towards resolution. My staff is meeting weekly uh, and we're meeting with risk management uh, every couple of weeks to kind of push them along. We want to get these caseload, this caseload down to a workable level, uh, but a lot of these things take time, you know, especially if it involves interviewing a lot of employees. Okay, as far as other reports go, the 2020 annual plan is complete. Uh, I didn't get it into this package. Uh, I have one more report that was uh, a result of last year's audit plan uh, that will be on the next uh, 
agenda uh, in November. Uh, did not have time to update it before it got in, uh, had to post this package. Uh, the 2021 annual plan is on time. We've started uh, a number of projects and should not have any problem completing that by year end. Uh, we have talked about the compliance issues, steady and high, and follow-up on outstanding issues. Uh, there's 10 open issues, and five of those are really HIPAA walkthrough items. Uh, it's not a whole lot of activity there because most of that would require touring uh, the clinical areas and I'm not up to that right now. Uh, there's enough issues with masking and, and you know, people trying to shelter and stay away. So uh, I'm waiting for things to die down a little bit before I start crawling around in the clinical areas. And that was my report. Is there any questions about the, any of the written reports that I provided? No, not for me. Very thorough. Um, other board, other committee members? No. No. It's good to see all those complete one status. So some of these had been on for, uh, especially ambulatory had been on for some time. So it's good to see. And they might be complete, but I just haven't been out there to check on them yet. But hopefully soon. Mm -hmm. They will unchain me from my home. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Thank you. No, that was a very, very comprehensive report. And, and you know, the, the harder you work, the more you'll have to do. So keep it up. Thank you. <laughs> Our next item is the, uh, let's see, that was the internal, wait, are we on item C1, the information status reports, or did we just do, wait? Well, we just, we just did the compliance, that. yeah, that we just did the compliance, so now we're on the annual audit and compliance committee agenda calendar. Wow. Really? Great. Okay. And I thought I was asking too many questions. Um, so the master calendar, what I wanted to, um, before we even go there, though, let me just talk about, I, I know it's the next item, but our talk about our next meeting. Um, confirm that, that um, my colleagues on the committee can meet on the 18th of November which is the date that we were tentatively scheduled for. Okay. Yeah, the last I heard it was going to be 1118 at four o'clock. We were talking at 430, because this oh, may okay. be working better um, for, um, for um, some of the committee members. Yeah, four four thirty for me would work better. I have a four o'clock meeting that day. If that works for you, Rick and Mark and whoever other staff, 
It will work for me. Okay, so it'll be November 18th at 4.30. Thank you. Okay. And now the master calendar, if you want, uh, Rick, is there anything that you want to highlight here? Uh, no, it's just a standard item on the agenda to make sure that we know when the next meeting is. And I'll update that to reflect uh, November 18th. And the next meeting will include Moss Adams and the annual financial audit results. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question, uh, Rick? Um, and I don't know if you would know this, uh, but Jermaine, to this last discussion, isn't there a timing? Um, there's a timing uh, uh, issue, I think, with us generally with respect to accepting our audit so that it can go to the county for their for their audit. Can we make sure that that this new this new date doesn't present an issue there? It might not, but I just I, I'm not sure. Uh, so I had communicated this date as a tentative date to Brian Connor, the Moss Adams partner, and he did not indicate it was going to be a problem, but I will uh, check with him just to make sure. Okay, because I, 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 they don't do the county's audit, so I, I'm actually not even sure if Brian, Brian would know. It may be a question we have to ask Ann or Kim. Okay. Is, is the uh, audit accepted by this committee or is it accepted by this committee on the full board? Yes, that's also a good question because the he, I think it actually is goes to the full board. It we goes to the it. full board. It goes from the committee to the full board and actually timing wise mm -hmm. that also may be an issue because the yeah. board has your, your November meeting is actually on November 12th, I believe. Uh, it's a retreat uh, for November 12th, or I'm sorry, 13th and 14th, I believe. So if this comes after that, that could also be a sequencing challenge. That sounds like the real problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then um, we'll, we'll confirm that date and time, but as far as we know, that, that should work. We hope that works. Uh, well, mm -hmm. we, can, we can go back and, and, and check from the audit perspective because if that if that if it works, then it will probably mean then that the full board would see or adopt it until your January meeting, which is the end of January. I think I think that's going to be a problem with the county. Yeah, it, it uh, has to be by November, not even December. I think December is late as well. Yeah, I, I, I remember thinking that. So, so I'm I'm going to guess that the 18th is probably going to be a problem, <laughs> unless you call some special meeting or default to the full board uh, without it going through your committee, which I guess is also a possibility. Um, we may have to look at that. Yeah. Then would it be, would the, the meeting be better to be, would the audit, we, we I don't think we can have a audit com compliance and audit meeting in October, but are you suggesting Del Vecchio or Rick would, that we would do it the week or two weeks earlier? Uh, no, I'm, well, actually, one one prospect is you have your your 13th and 14th is a retreat. So, depending on how much you have as retreat items, um, one prospect, and we've done this with QPSC before too, uh, is just to. Uh, so right now, uh, the calendar actually, I had audit and compliance and finance both happening on the 12th. Was it what was on my calendar? Uh, so it could be that you could do the retreat on the 13th, and maybe you carve out 
a half hour or an hour to do the audit and then it goes immediately from audit and compliance to full board or you just do it as a whole. Uh, I think those are prospects. So let us look into it for you uh, and you may be able to do it that way or since you're already gonna be here for the retreat, you'd have the whole committee or you may just be able to do a subset or not do it at all. And then uh, the 18th, you would just you would just take it out of order, but we can look at it for you and work with you on it. Would it be possible to, is it, and Mike might know this too, does it have to be approved by, does the, the external audit have to be approved by the committee first and then go to the full board or could it be um, a, I don't think you can go from board to committee. I think you'd have to either go straight to the board. Yeah, that's what I meant. And then the board. Uh, it was a delegated function of the committee, so I think you can uh, the the board could actually. I mean, I, I don't know if that that takes a bylaws uh, 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 issue or if it really just can be a determination. It's, doubt, it's doubtfully it's doubt, doubtful. It's in the bylaws. I mean, I mean, I think it's, yeah, just your committee charter, and you can just. I, I, yeah, I would recommend since we're having a retreat. I mean, it's actually um, it, it's a, there's not a lot of discussion that has happened in this committee around the audit in past years, right? And it's certainly not the sort of um, contextual conversation that the whole board can have. So, it, I would recommend that we just try to put it carve out some time in the retreat. Okay, for the full board, I I, I like that idea because I. It would be good for other board members to to see and hear the presentation from the external auditor too. Yeah, yeah, they would they would have done that in the full board meeting anyway. Uh, but we can just bypass the committee piece. So we'll work on that with you uh, and with the executive committee, uh, Mike. We should probably just note that as one of the things for the retreat uh, discussion for the executive. Thank you. Thanks. Sure. And then, if that's the case, then we just will either. We just will not hold it, or we'll just have a committee of the whole, or whatever we we call. Yeah, it. and then I mean, you could you could still if you do it that way, you could still have your November meeting. You just not have the audit on the okay because you still have internal audit stuff. It would just be the external audit. Thanks, mm -hmm. Rebecca. Thanks sure. for bringing that up. That's sure. good to know. Okay, our next item is issue tracking. We did not have any issues to track. Well, yeah, there, there was the my suggestion that we uh, start tracking. I don't know if that fits there or not, but the the idea of having a dashboard tracking ongoing of those uh, cyber security issues. Uh, right. So I do the, the follow up status and I always uh, track those. You want more than that? So, yeah, yeah, it usually comes back in the form of those reports you see at the beginning, where it's like uh, the audit's completed with all the recommended actions, the due dates, and then you get an update on has it been completed or not. Yeah, that seems adequate. Right, but but what we were talking about and what um, Lewis brought up was to have this as a regular uh, on the um, master calendar, I think, kind of a, is that what you were thinking, Lewis, to have it as part of the either... Um, every other meeting or every meeting on the master calendar? Uh, well, part of the packet, a report that would be very high-level dashboard in a sense. So just tracking, uh, give us a sense. I think there were eight items, you know, we're 50% completed on this. We've run into this challenge on this one. Very high level. Okay. But uh, and just to prioritize it because, it, you know, this is an area of great concern, I think. 
Yeah. Yeah. That think about how that'll work, Rick. I think that's a great a great idea, and it's something that we'll want to be reporting out back to the full board when we can too. Okay. I think as soon as it shows up on Rick's report, the next time it does show up in that table of like of pending issues, like we found these, where are we with resolving it? So yeah. So um, we'll. Well, I think it's something that I can put in my follow-up items, but also uh, make sure I highlight that in the uh, report presentation. So uh, the things that we talk about in the meeting, will it'll be there. Yeah. And especially if there are any new policies, as you worked on and things that we should know about, it would be good for us to know like what new policies have come um, into play for cybersecurity. Okay. Great. Well, then, if that's it for the open session, we have a we'll have a brief closed session, and um, we can adjourn. Yes. So, yeah. Well, we're not going to adjourn yet. The uh, committee will go into closed session. There's two items. One is a conference with legal counsel for regarding potential litigation. The second is a involving the vice president of compliance internal audit so give me a second i'll open up the breakout room and we'll move into closed session